I'd like to read tonight from the book of Daniel, one of my very favorite books of the Bible, one of my favorite heroes of the faith, heroes of the Bible, the book of Daniel. We're going to start at chapter 1, and to really get an idea of what is happening and what's going on in this passage, we're actually going to read all of chapter 1. So we're going to begin with verse 1 and work our way through all the way to verse 21. When you have it, say amen. Amen. And the word of the Lord said this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Espinaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. They were looking for young minds that they could shape and mold and transform into Babylonians. And the king anointed them, appointed them rather, a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And unto them the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and of Azariah of Bendigo. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse likening than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee in the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants." So he consented to them in this matter and proved them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. 
Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. Verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And David continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. Amen. And by the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, I'd just simply like to talk to you on this thought, blessed in a strange land, blessed in a strange land, amen. Let's lift our voice to heaven, ask the Lord to speak to us today, I pray. Thank you, Jesus, so much for your spirit that we feel here in your house today. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for the opportunity that we have every time to walk into your house, Lord, and to feel you and to have an encounter with you. God, I pray that you would anoint your vessel today, Lord, that your word would go forth. Lord, that you'd speak to the minds and to the hearts of your people. God, I pray that your perfect will would be made manifest in your house today. Lord, above all things, let your will be done. Let your word go forth. Let the seed be planted. Lord, that we might be vessels, that we might be ministers in our city, Lord, that the lost might be saved. Lord, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You can be seated in the house tonight. The passage of scripture that we just read, Daniel chapter 1, if you were to look up the historical significance, the historical context of it, you would find out that this, this setting is during the time of Israel's defeat and occupation of Babylon. The king had, shortly after being put on the throne, decided he no longer wanted to pay tribute to Babylon so Babylon retaliated and attacked Jerusalem and all of Israel. Around the year 605 B.C., Babylon conquered Israel and that holy city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple and burned down the entire city. But before they did this, they ransacked the city and they took everything that was of value. They ransacked the temple and took the vessels from the temple and put it in the house of the God of Nebuchadnezzar. They desecrated that holy city of Jerusalem. This marked the beginning of 70 years of captivity for Israel and the land of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar had given specific instructions to the master of his eunuchs. He wanted him to go and he wanted him to bring out certain of the children of Israel, not just anyone, but certain ones amongst the young men of Israel, not just anyone, but the very, very best of Israel, the smartest ones, the ones that showed great potential, the ones that were of the king's seed and the princes. 
The scripture would go on to say that there would be children in whom was no blemish. They were well-favored and skillful in all wisdom. They were cunning in their knowledge and of their understanding of science. And they had such ability in them to stand in the king's palace. This was without a doubt the start of a very dark, very trying time and place for the people of Israel. If you're familiar at all with the Bible and and the cities and the people and the nations that are mentioned like Babylon and Persia and the Medes and the the Chaldeans and and Egypt, if you're at all familiar with those, those things in the Bible, you most likely have realized that Babylon is very symbolic of the world and worldly influence. It was the cultural hub of its day and of its time. It greatly influenced the entire region of the Middle East. It was where all of the, the, the arts and all of the fashion trends and all of the entertainment would flow from that city. They set the tone for the entire region. So with that understanding, it becomes evident that this, this setting of Israel being held in captivity in a strange land that is not their own, that is not their home, is not the holy city of Jerusalem. It's very much a shadow and type illustration of the church and its position in the world today. The cultural norms of our society are becoming less and less in line with the church and the godly lifestyle in which we live, in which we hold dear, and in which we partake. The world in which we live is very, very much in a Babylon type of state, if you will. Very, very much in a Babylon type of state. It's becoming ever, ever more clear and evident that we as the church are living in a very, very strange land. It's becoming more and more strange as the days go by. The spirit of the Antichrist is very much at work in the world that we live in today. It's whispering in the ears of our world leaders, and it's, it's actively influencing the minds of the educators and the teachers that are teaching our children. It's, it's infiltrated each and every avenue of entertainment that we have in the palm of our hand and in our homes, and it's fighting against every single thing that you and I and the church stand for and hold dear. The normal has become abnormal. And the unacceptable has somehow become acceptable. There are some even in the Christian world that claim that the church should be more accepting of these these cultural norms that are within our society. That we should be more tolerant of some things, more accepting of some things. We, we, some things are just old-fashioned, and they don't matter as much as they used to. And, and we need to have a little more understanding in the world today. There are those that claim that if we want influence in the world that we live in, that we must become more like the world that we live in. But I'm here to remind some faithful people that are gathered together here on a Wednesday night that 
that the world does not need the church to look more like the world. The world needs the church to be the church. It does not need a glorified community center that, that just tiptoes around sin and doesn't want to address it for, for fear of offense because, because we're worried about what people might think and, and how it, it might come across. I'm here to tell you truth is truth and we will never preach it with hate and we will never preach it with malice and we will never preach it with meanness of any kind, but it must be preached. It must be preached. It doesn't need a church that's afraid to preach truth from its pulpit. The world needs a city on a hill that cannot be hid. It needs a church that preaches the love and the saving power of Almighty God. The world needs a church that can preach to them the hope of salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. The world needs the church to be the church. The world will tell you what they expect you to be, but that's not what they need you to be. The world needs the church to be the church. They need us to stay strong and be consistent according to the word of the Lord. They need it now more than they've ever needed it before. I love, I love reading these stories, these stories found in the book of Daniel. Oh, what faith it would take to live a life like Daniel lived. Oh, how strong and stalwart he was to stand in the midst of Babylon when everyone around him was compromising and everyone around him was partaking of the king's meat and everyone around him was caving and, and compromising and forgetting where they came from and what they'd been taught. But Daniel stayed strong. He, he very much quite literally wrote the book on what it meant to be faithful and what it meant to be steadfast in the things of God. Daniel, of course, being the one who, when commanded to pray to nobody but the king for 30 days, these, these other wise men who knew Daniel couldn't do that. They, they came to the king and they persuaded him, put out a decree that no one should pray to anyone but you for 30 days, knowing that Daniel could do no such thing, laying the trap for his demise. And Daniel heard the decree and it went one in in one ear and out the other. He went to his room and he left the windows open and he did just as he'd always done before. He prayed to the Lord three times a day, pointed to Jerusalem. I know in times of uncertainty, it can be, it can be tempting to simply close the windows and hide behind the closed doors of the church, but that's not what Daniel did. He stayed consistent. He stayed true. He stayed faithful. And if we want our voice and our influence to be heard in the world, we can't be afraid to leave the windows open. We can't be afraid to stay consistent when things get hard. And when trials come our way, this kind of strength, this kind of faithfulness that David exhibits is not something that's just developed overnight. It's not something that is just easily found or come upon. It's the result of life long dedication. 
It's the result of total and complete commitment to God and the things of God. It's the result of right decisions made in his younger years. Historians believe that when Daniel was there in Babylon in the beginning of the book of Daniel that he was roughly 15 years old. This was not an older man. This was not a well-established man. This was a 15-year-old boy who knew who he was and knew where he came from and knew who his God was and knew what truth was and he wasn't afraid to stand up in Babylon and be who the Lord needed him to be. That's the kind of man Daniel was. We find him in chapter 1, the passage that we read earlier. The king has, has given clear instructions to his eunuch. He wants each and every young wise man that they took from that city of Jerusalem. He wants all of them to be fed the very best meat and the very best wine. He wants them to partake in the things that he would partake of. It would be a portion set aside directly from his own table. It was the king's meat. It was the best you could find. It was the best you could get in all of Babylon. They were be to provided with this daily portion of the king's table because the king wanted the very best of the best. And, and this was his way of ensuring that they would be as strong and as healthy and as well nourished as they could possibly be. But when Daniel hears this come from the mouth of the servant of the king, he, he politely, I'm sure, said, you know, I appreciate your efforts and your concern for my strength and my well-being, but you're going to have to go back to the king and, and you can thank him for his concern, but I cannot defile myself with this meat from the king's table. Now, there were probably multiple reasons why Daniel couldn't consume this meat. The two main reasons most likely being that the meat was coming from an unclean animal. They didn't have the same dietary restrictions and the same dietary laws in Babylon that they did back home in Israel. They, they didn't eat the same things. They didn't partake of the same things. They were self-indulgent and they just did whatever felt right and whatever felt good and whatever sounded good in the moment. And the other reason most likely being that this was meat that was offered to the idols and the false gods of Babylon. Both of these things would disqualify these from being fit for Daniel and the fellow Hebrews to consume. So Daniel tells the servant of the king, you know, I can't, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I can't defile myself with these meats and with this wine. Now, this kind of put the servant in a tough spot. The king was not known for being a very understanding man. And, and this was going to put the servant in a tough spot. He said, you know, look, Daniel, I, I get it. I, I can appreciate where you're coming from. I appreciate your, your dedication. I can respect your faith. I respect what you're standing for. But, but, but just so you know, it's going to be my head on the line when things don't go well. It's going to be my life on the line when, when I take you before the king and, and you look frail and skinny and sickly compared to everyone else who's eaten the very best of the best that the king has to offer. What, when that happens, it's going to be me who's in trouble. 
and whose head is on the line. And Daniel said, you know, I get that. I get that. But, but, but hear me out. Here's a proposition for you. Just try it for 10 days. Try it for 10 days and we will prove to you that we don't need any of the king's meat because we're getting our sustenance from another king. We don't need anything that this Babylonian king has to offer while everyone else is feasting on the best that Babylon has to offer from its tables. Just give us pulse and water. Do you know what pulse is? Pulse is beans, lentils, wheat, barley, members of the legume family. Just beans and water. That's what he wanted. He said, you give us beans and water and not only will we be okay, but we'll be better than everyone else. This is where we get the Daniel fast. Daniel was vegan way before it was cool. Daniel was shopping at the very first Whole Foods of Babylon, getting his beans, his soybean burgers. This is where we get the Daniel fast. He was on to something. He was on to something. And lo and behold, after 10 days of eating nothing but pulse and water, the Bible says that their countenance appeared fairer and they were fatter in their flesh and that all of these that ate of the king's meat were not as good as Daniel and the Hebrew boys. The Bible goes on to say at the end of the three-year period that there was found none like Daniel or the three Hebrew boys. In all matters of wisdom and understanding, they were found 10 times better than all of the magicians, than all of the astrologers, than all of the other wise men that were in that realm of Babylon. I want to remind somebody tonight that perhaps is feeling the pressure of the Babylon that we live in. Babylon will tell you that in order to achieve success in this world that we live in, that you've got to dress like Babylon, and you've got to talk like Babylon, and you've got to eat, and you've got to drink like Babylon and you've got to act like Babylon and you've got to go where Babylonians go and you've got to consume things that Babylonians consume but I'm here to remind you you do not have to compromise who you are in exchange for earthly success and king's favor when you seek the Lord above all things, when you stay faithful in the face of adversity, when you stay true to who the Lord has called you to be, you will be blessed and highly favored even in Babylon. Even in Babylon. Young person, don't you believe the lies that are echoing through your lecture halls and your universities and in your high schools? You do not have to forsake your godly divine calling to be successful in this world. You can serve God with your whole heart and still be a force to be reckoned with in whatever profession you feel led to walk into. You can prioritize your walk with God and still advance in the workplace. You can make time for time in prayer with the Lord and still climb that corporate ladder. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to compromise who you are and who you're called to be, to be successful, to find success, to be who the Lord has called and destined you to be. He will bless you in ways 
that you could only imagine. When you remain faithful and steadfast in Babylon, you unlock the door to blessing and favor from the king of kings, even in a strange land. Even in a strange land. I remember being a a younger 22-year-old boy, 22-year-old man, I guess you would say, but I felt much more like a boy. (laughs) 22-year-old trying to figure out what was going on, what I was doing, and I was starting a new venture, and it was a very demanding sales venture, and I remember sitting in a, a seminar that all of my peers said, you just have to go to, you just have to be a part of this, it'll change your life, it'll change the way you look at things, and it'll just set you on the trajectory for success, and I'm like, well, that sounds good, that sounds like, like something I, I should be a part of, and I remember getting there, and I remember hearing the things that they would tell us. Some of them were good, but, but some of them, they just didn't quite sit right with me. Some of them, they rubbed, uh, they rubbed me wrong. They, they, just, they just didn't sit okay with me. They told us that, that if you want to be successful in this industry, you have to prioritize it above everything else. It's got to be number one in your life. It, it's got to be the thing that matters to you the most. It's, it's got to be the thing that you go to bed thinking about and the thing you wake up thinking about. It's got to be number one for you above all things. And, and I remember looking around me and watching my peers as they were actively buying into the lie of Babylon that says success above everything else, earthly gain and advancement above everything else. And I remember feeling in that moment like I was in a strange, strange land. Many, many of the things that were being taught there were, were going against what I had been taught. They were contrary to my beliefs. I I remember hearing them joke about how dishonest they were and hearing of of the the strings they would pull to make things come together and close deals. And, And many of the things that they were talking about were completely contrary to the way I'd been raised and the way I'd been taught. And in that moment, I remember telling myself in my head, I remember talking to the Lord, Lord, right now I feel like I'm in Babylon. And while I do want success in my earthly ventures, I promise to you that I am never going to stop seeking you first. I am never going to prioritize anything over you or my walk with you. In this world, in this world, this world is not my home. This world is not what I'm searching for. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I know it's not the cultural norm here in Babylon. I know it's not the way my peers do things. I know it's not the way things are done in this this strange foreign land that I'm in. But I know that if I stay steadfast in who I am in you, if I can stay faithful in the face of adversity, I know that if I seek you first, you'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing over me me and my work and my ventures, even in a strange, strange land, even in a strange land. In case you haven't noticed, the world we live in is just getting worse and worse every day. Every news report, every newspaper, every headline, it's, it's no secret. Things are not getting better they're getting worse as time goes on. We see it happening everywhere. And, and my worry, my worry is, is that the more offensive the world becomes, 
the more defensive the church is going to become. I'm worried that the worse it gets out there, the more comfortable we're gonna be sitting behind the four walls of our church. Now I I believe with all of my heart, don't get me wrong, I believe with all of my heart that the church is to be holy, the church is to be separate. We are to be pure and set aside in every way. We, We are to come out from among them and be separate from the world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. But if we are so solely focused on the fact that we are not of this world and we use the offensiveness and and just the all out sin of this world to justify us hiding within the walls of our churches, how are we ever gonna fulfill the mission of the gospel? How are we ever gonna fulfill the great commission of to go into all the world and preach the gospel if we won't go? and preach the gospel. I know it's getting bad out there. I know we're living in a strange land. I know that our world is falling apart. I know it's growing darker and darker every single day. But now is not the time for God's people to grow weary. Now is not the time for God's people to throw in the towel. We might be living in a very strange land, but we can still be blessed in this strange land. I want to remind somebody who's struggling, you are not forsaken. You have a divine purpose. You are here for a reason. You are in this church for a reason. You are in the kingdom for such a time as this. I know it's becoming less and less acceptable in our culture to serve the Lord, but now is not the time for the church to hide. Now is not the time for the church to grow complacent or comfortable in these four walls. Now is the time for the church to shine. Now is the time for the church to not grow defensive, but grow offensive and to take this battle to the world. You can't have a single soul devil. You can't have what not one of my lost loved ones. You can't have not one of my lost co-workers. You can't have one single soul. We've got to pick up the sword of the spirit and fight. And fight this battle. Fight for every lost soul. This world's not our home. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that we have a heaven to look forward to. I'm so thankful that we don't have to stay here forever. But we are here right now and we still have work to do. We still have work to do. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to believe the lie that you can only be yourself within the walls of this church. That you can only live The way you know you should live here in the comfortable place, here in Jerusalem, if you will, here within the holy city, here within the safety of people of like precious faith. He'd love for you to believe that when you get out into the world, you need to just conform and and be just like everybody else and just stay silent. Don't you believe the lie of the enemy? The world needs your voice. 
The world needs your testimony. The world needs you to be full of the Holy Ghost. The world needs you to preach the gospel. Do not mistakenly believe that it is solely the responsibility of the ministers of your church to preach the gospel. Do not think just because you're not called perhaps to be a minister that you are not called to preach the gospel. I'm here to tell every single person in this place tonight, you are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are called to spread the good news that he's alive and the gift is for them and to all that are afar off. I'm here to tell you, you are called to preach the gospel. The world needs you to preach the gospel. The world needs you to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to where they are. You preach the gospel simply by serving the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. You preach the gospel simply by being a walking, breathing testimony of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. You preach the gospel by loving your family and your friends the way that God loves you. You preach the gospel with your words and with your actions and by living an overcoming life through Christ. Our ministers can't do it by themselves. We need all hands on deck. We need doctors that preach the gospel. We need nurses that preach the gospel. We need attorneys and paralegals that preach the gospel. We need school teachers and professors and sports coaches that preach the gospel. We need law enforcement officers that preach the gospel. We need tradespeople that preach the gospel. We have have to preach it in the marketplace. We have to preach it in the workplace. We need to preach it in the highways, in the byways. We need to preach it in our schools and in our homes and everywhere that we go. We need to preach it with our words and with our actions. We need every Holy Ghost filled believer to get a hold of this thing, to buy into this thing wholeheartedly. You are called to be a witness, to be a light in a world that's growing darker and darker. You're called and you're chosen and you're here in the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I know it's easy to become intimidated by the world that we live in. It's easy to do. It's easy to find yourself in that place. The enemy will tell you that you're, you're fighting a losing battle. But don't be deceived. Don't be intimidated. Don't put down the sword. We, we, we might be in a strange land right now, but I'm here to tell you, we are blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed. We might be in Babylon right now, but we are blessed. We, we might be in a strange land. We're a pilgrim in a strange land, but we're blessed. I said we're blessed. We're blessed in the workplace. We're blessed in our schools. We're blessed everywhere that we go and we find to do 
we're blessed and we're highly favored. And when you serve the Lord wholeheartedly, in spite of persecution, in spite of resistance, in spite of what Babylon says is mandatory and necessary, in spite of what Babylon says is the only pathway to success, when you keep him first above all things, he's going to open doors that no man can shut. He's going to take you to heights that you could never reach yourself. We might be in a strange land right now, but we're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. Hallelujah. I'm not going to preach much longer if the musicians would prepare to come tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know, I know this might seem heavy for a Bible study night, but I, I feel it in my soul. I feel it in my spirit. We've got work to do, church. We've got souls to reach, church. This city needs Tree of Life Church to be the church. It needs us to be the church. One of the things I, I love most about Daniel, you know, we, we read these stories about these, these Bible heroes and we see the things that they accomplish and it's just, sometimes it's, it's, it almost seems, if we weren't reading it from the Bible, we almost wouldn't believe it. The things that they were able to accomplish in their time for their God and for their people. But one of the things I love most about Daniel is that all he did really to receive his status as a biblical hero, someone that we love and we admire, the one who made it out of the lion's den. He was thrown in the lion's den and the Lord shut the lion's mouths and he was rescued. He didn't kill any giants. He didn't part any Red Seas. He didn't win any major military vi uh, victories or, or fight any large battles. He simply stood strong in the face of an ungodly king. He simply stood true to who he was. When everyone around him was compromising, he said, I know who I am, and I know who my God is, and I know, I know, I know that I can be blessed even in this strange land. He didn't bend in the face of adversity. He never wavered in his faith. He served the Lord openly. I'm here to tell you, that's all we've got to do. We've just got to stand strong. We just got to look adversity in the eye and say, you know what? You are pretty intimidating. I'm not going to lie. It's a little terrifying right now, but I know who I am and I know who my God is. And I know if it's his will to save me, he's going to save me. And I'm here to tell you when you stay strong and faithful, even in Babylon, even while in a strange land, you're going to be blessed and you're going to have favor and the blessing of the Lord is going to rest on your home and on your marriage and on your job. I'm here to tell you, he knows the plans that he has for you. I said he knows the plans that he has for you. I wonder if we could stand to our feet across this place. If everyone who's able can make it way, their way to the front. Everyone who's able in their body, if you'd like to pray. 
I believe that the Lord is commissioning people to be ministers. Commissioning people to preach the gospel in their workplaces, in their schools, in their homes. You don't ever have to touch a microphone to preach. You can preach with your life. You can preach with your choices. You can preach with the way that you love people and the way that you treat people. Ha. Oh, Lord, we just want to draw nearer to you. Lord, we just want to fulfill the calling that you have in our life. Lord, we want to put you first above all things. We want to prioritize the things of the Lord, not the things of this world. Not even when this world has lost its mind. Not even though we're in a strange land, Babylon, where nothing makes sense and everything goes and everything wrong is accepted. We're going to stay strong because we know who we are, not in ourselves, but who we are in you. Oh, that's it. I wonder if we could raise our hands to heaven. Lord, I pray that you would appoint us to be ministers of the gospel all across this city. Lord, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. Lord, let us reach the lost. Lord, let us reach this city. Let us have an impact in this Babylon that we find ourselves in. Lord, let your voice be heard in this city. Lord, let your voice be heard. Let your voice be heard. Let your light shine through us. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.